Welcome to another episode of Acts of the Blood God. Acts of the Blood God 400. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me as always, my lovely co-host since 2016, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Kat. It is just like really humbling and intimidating to be sitting here with episode 400. That's as many as four 100s, and that's not terrible at all. <laughs> and joining me is my equally lovely co-host since 2022, Eric Van Allen. Hello. Hi. I get to be the producer today. This is real fun. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Good job. Nothing's spoken yet. And who is our special guest? Uh, hello, I'm Felipe. I'm the editor of the CRPG Book Project. And I just want to thank for the invite and congratulate you on the 400 episodes. Thank you so thank much. You. Wow. <laughs> yes, we invited Felipe on because, yes, we are celebrating episode 400. And for this episode, this milestone episode, A, we're recording live on twitch.tv slash Pod for everybody, not just the stars of Destiny this week. And we've got a great crowd. Yeah. Um, very delighted to see so many fresh faces. This is a blast. You get a little taste of the chaos that we have every Saturday morning. Um, but we are also, we invited Felipe on because we are going to return to the beginning and we are going to explore what is an RPG. It's a fraught, it's a fraught conversation. And few people are better positioned to answer this question or help us answer this question than Felipe because he uh, edited the CRPG book, which if you have not checked it out, it's an incredible work, very comprehensive. Um, there's also the JRPG book, equally awesome, wonderful stuff. So, uh, and beautifully put together a lot of games that you can just go in and learn a ton about very deep. So go and check that out. Um, if you enjoy the podcast, please go ahead and review us on the podcatcher of your choice. It brightens our day. And also helps raise the profile of the podcast. You can find me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford. Eric is at CMoosey. And Felipe, where can we find you on Twitter? Well, I'm not sure you want to find me on Twitter, but <laughs> it's, it's at Felipe Pepe, which is my name, my full name. So just Felipe Pepe. One of the reasons <laughs> that we had you on the show was that you did this really phenomenal thread but that really encompassed the history of RPGs in general, like, and it showed like so much knowledge and so much scholarship. I was like, I should have him on for episode 400. And here you are. <laughs> you're graciously said, agreed to be on here at like one in the morning because, or two in the morning because it's, you're in Japan. Oh yeah, my goodness. I'm, I'm sorry about that. Thank you for, for staying up. <laughs> no, don't worry. I, I was playing games with my friends until now. This is because of the time zone in Brazil. This is the time where I play with my friends usually. Oh, so I would stay up anyway. Yeah. Oh, cool. uh, yeah. We, we've all kind of twisted our, our internal clocks to meet our <laughs> our uh, employment needs. That's for sure. Like I'm, you've seen me online at like three in the morning, Kat. So you know what I'm all about. Indeed. I uh, woke up. I, I get up at six in the morning on Saturdays so that I can be on the show. Also, it's because I watch soccer, but I'm just, I'm going to martyr myself a little bit and say that that's why I'm here. Um, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash bloodgodpod if you enjoy the show and if you want to access a lot of bonus content. Uh, we are in the middle of the winter of Wick. We did a Pantheon of the Blood God exploration of Lunar, the Silver Star story which was a very popular episode and I really enjoyed putting that one together. Anytime you get Nadia and Anthony Agnello 
into the same mm. room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. we definitely kind of operate on the same wavelength of chaos. And it was just imagine us and Bob Mackie running a blog in the like 2008, I think it was around that time. And just it was complete nonsense. It was amazing. There's an actual moment you can find where that pod goes off the rails and it's when <laughs> Hey, did y'all know that Shadow Madness is on Steam? (laughs) 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 We just never recovered. Truly. Uh, Yeah, Shadow Madness, our first Pandemonium pandemonium episode, I expect. Yeah, yeah, it's it's going to be a contender. Monster Seed. With Monster Seed. Monster Seed. (laughs) Felipe, have you played Monster Seed? No, I'm not familiar. This one, even Neither are the greatest we. scholars among <laughs> us, this one to lose. <laughs> uh, amazing. Um, and finally, hey, it's episode 400. And guess what? We have a shop. Yes, we have actual merch. We have T-shirts. We've got mugs. We've got mouse pads. Uh, we're in the process of working on the year two pin. Finally, it's going to happen. We got a hoodie. It's great. Go check out Axe <laughs> of the Blood God shop and there's dashes in all of them dot fourth wall.com that's acts of the blood god shop dot fourth wall dot com and after this episode's over i'm going to put in a little promo code uh that would be blood god 400 for uh 10 off on the shirt or hoodie of your choice if you're an athlete you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down after all a team is only as good as its weakest link So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Okay, it's time now to talk about what we have been playing our, uh, shall we say, sacrifice to the blood god and Felipe. You're our special guest. What have you been playing? So, like I mentioned, I was playing with my friends until like half an hour ago, and we were playing uh, For the King, which is a, mm-hmm. a really mm-hmm. fun, like, uh, I, I would say it's actually like a multiplayer RPG because it's the kind of RPGs that I tried to play single player like uh, one year ago, and I completely bounced off. It didn't work for me. Then the moment I got my two friends to play with me, it's like, oh, this is amazing. And for me, it's really interesting because it's the kind of game that we're starting to see more of it. It was the same experience I had with uh, Divinity Original Sin. They're like, they give this idea, oh, you can control a lot of characters, but really they want everyone to have, uh, each player have a character, and it gets so much richer, and it has so many systems for that to be enjoyable. So it's really, I, I like this new trend of multiplayer RPGs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Eric, you were making noises. Uh, I, I'm not f- that familiar for The King, but you were making noises of acknowledgement. Yeah, yeah. It's one that I've seen a few times before, and I've never really understood the pitch on. So I was kind of interested to hear about this. And so it does play kind of like a... I, I mean, there were other games that, that tried to do the Sword Coast and stuff like that, where you, you would play multiplayer. The idea was to get a bunch of friends together, journey together and all that. And I'm kind of interested to hear that because I do feel that, as we're probably going to talk about later in this episode, there are D&D roots at the the base of the RPG tree. Maybe a few. And I feel like that doesn't always get captured 
in the modern day, or at least that that sense of camaraderie, that sense of multiplayer and, and people kind of bouncing things off each other. So For the King kind of goes for that. It goes for the multiplayer aspect. Yeah, but in a different way, because like, uh, let's say I used to play Baldur's Gate 1 with my my uh-huh. brother in multiplayer, like, but it was a very, really bad system of multiplayer. For the King, I think like it is an RPG, but its influence on the way multiplayer works is much more like uh, tabletop gaming. Mm. So it's like everyone has a token and you're exploring this map together. And let's say you can join to explore a dungeon or to uh, get involved in a fight, but you can also like each one be in, on one side of the map. Yeah, it's really interesting because you don't move as a party. You have this big board and everyone on their turn, they roll a die. And that controls how much they can walk. And if you are together, you fight together. If you're separate, let's say, I can go kill a monster while you go to claim a shrine and the other person goes back to town to buy an item. But it's a really fun experience because it's a kind of like light RPG, but very cute and also really challenging and strategic. Like each person controls only one character, but it has a lot of options and synergy between the, the players. It's really like, like I mentioned, I tried playing before. If you try to go for single player, you have to control three characters at once, and they are very bland, and it, it takes very long each turn. But when you're with friends, you know, you have that downtime that one player is playing while the other two are talking. It's a, it's a very fun and I think really enjoyable Basically, more tabletop than RPG, but is a uh, in RPG form. Let's say, yeah. Okay, yeah. It, it reminds me almost a little bit of Wildermyth back when that came out, and that's one that I've been wanting to go back to, and especially try and get some folks into playing multiplayer with me on. So, I like I like hearing that. Like you were saying, that multiplayer RPGs aren't the most popular, but <laughs> they they do like fill. Can I introduce you to a little game called World of Warcraft, Eric? Okay, that's massively multiplayer. (laughs) Let me tell you about the critically acclaimed MMO. Yeah. And it's actually funny you say this because the friends I'm playing now are the same friends that I used to play World of Warcraft like 10 years ago. Aw, that's cute. Mm -hmm. I like that. Yeah. We had a little guild. It's like... Wow. I... Uh, You make an interesting point, though. One of the things that I've really enjoyed is mixing classical RPG design, both uh, PC RPGs and more console RPG oriented with multiplayer mechanics. One of my favorite examples on the console RPG side is definitely Dragon Quest IX, which was it hit at something that I had always wanted, which is being able to play a traditional turn based Dragon Quest style RPG, but with a friend that you're adventuring together and like you're all making decisions, you're looting together, you're dungeon crawling together. Uh, it hit on a lot of different things. And I'm kind of sad that that particular experiment never got picked up much. Yeah. Also, one of the big reasons that Pokemon always spoke to me was that it incorporated social multiplayer so much, but more importantly, competitive multiplayer where I could play against my friends and having that, deep tactical experience was not readily replicated in almost any game that I've played since. Honestly, I've never really found anything quite like Pokemon competitive multiplayer. And then on the more traditional tabletop side of things, 
we've certainly had over the years RPGs that have dabbled in the concept of having effectively a DM, especially, um, I believe, games like Neverwinter Nights and whatnot. But maybe not enough RPGs it kind of explore that conceit yeah. of um, being able to turn the tabletop experience truly into RPG form. And maybe especially as with the growth of AI and, and other conceits, maybe we'll start to see that more. But have you ever played Divinity Original Sin 2? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because and for they me, have a whole is... DM mode and everything, yeah. No, but I mean like in the multiplayer with friends, I mm, think that is yeah. for me the closest I ever got to playing tabletop uh, RPGs, but in uh, with a computer with friends. It was like mm-hmm. such an amazing experience how the quests are imagined that each person has different goals and want different things and mm-hmm. you can like sabotage the others. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, Divinity Original Sin 2 hit on something uh, kind of magical, I think, with the way uh, that it approached uh, its multiplayer. And it certainly is what I think really set it above and kind of elevated Larian to where it is now, uh, especially as we have uh, Baldur's Gate 3 uh, on the way. In the meantime, We've been talking a lot about Octopath Traveler 2, a game that I did pie. I got a code for. I installed. Yeah. I started playing it. Um, I messed with the settings, and the HD2D isn't hurting my eyes as much okay. anymore. Um, and I started with the Beast character. Yeah, on that. Mm-hmm. Good start. Good start. <laughs> That's her war cry. I love her. I, uh, I picked the owl. So um, that's that's the right choice. That's the meta pick. You, yeah, you that's did the well. meta pick. <laughs> yeah, it's the meta pick. Okay, I was like, I should pick the dog. Oh, but the owl's pretty. The, the <laughs> dog hits pretty. the dog hits weapon weaknesses, and the owl hits elemental weaknesses. And on the I whole, see. it's easier for Ochet to hit weapon weaknesses than it is for her. Yeah, because she's, uh, she's got a lot of range. elemental. Yeah, yeah. I'm not that far. But I promise that I will keep digging into Octopath Traveler too, because everybody is so excited about it. And Felipe, you said that you were kind of, uh, what shall we say, converted a little bit, hearing everybody praise it. Yeah, I, I like you mentioned on your podcast, like I bounced out of the first because it was like, oh, it's really cute. And it has that nostalgic combat, but there was no substance. And now I just hear everyone praising this game so much. I'm just like, okay, maybe I should try it. Yeah. Kat, you uh, started with Uchet, and you said it kind of plays like the first game still. Yeah, Uchet is definitely the most basic of the, um, you know, starters, I find. Yeah, like her, I started with her and Agnia, for sure. Yeah. yeah. and But once you get to the other characters, like, things really take off in terms of the story and the systems and the and the characters and whatnot. I, except... I've been going around all all week driving my husband crazy, talking like Patricio, saying, I'm going to eliminate the devil called poverty. Who wants to join <laughs> So I love that asshole. And his, his his theme is so good, it should be illegal. It's ridiculous how good oh, his theme is. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like a Street Fighter II stage theme. Like, yeah. that's the level of banger. <laughs> it's it my favorite at. kind of music and, in games. But the, the thing that surprised me at first and continues to surprise me is now I'm currently at about 85 hours into the game and finishing out all the character paths. Uh, All of them are kind of like really good elevator pitches of what if we took those original Octopath one classes, which were very bog standard, 
He's like, here's your warrior. He wants to go around and fight people. Oh, and here's your here's your mage. He sure wants to learn things from books. Maybe there's bad things in the books. Who could say? <laughs> who, who, whomst indeed can say whether there are bad things in the books? Everyone has their like stories kind of turned on their heads in interesting ways. So Oswald is one of the more obvious where he is basically Count of Monte Cristo, the RPG uh, his family was killed by a rival and he's put in jail and he has to escape from jail to go get revenge. It's it's the Count of Monte Cristo. And then it gets even more Alexander Dumas as the, <laughs> as the story goes on. Uh, but even Temenos, one of my favorite characters, Temenos is an great. Ag- agnostic priest who does not believe in the church, has no faith in the church, and he's an inquisitor. Uh, and, and his whole job is to doubt. He is to doubt the people that he believes are using the faith that he believes in for wrong and to find them and to take them out. And I love that character arc. It's so good and so refreshing. Casty, I finished Casty's story earlier this week, and it is an absolute banger of an RPG story uh, with I, now that I'm doing some of the final bosses, I'm really starting to respect the work that they did. Uh, making incredible encounters in this game because some of these final mm-hmm. uh, bosses in the paths are intense, memorable, cinematic, like all the things that you want out of like a final boss. They just pull every like like there's there's no expense spared. They do every cool thing they can throw at you and all of it ties the paths and all the things that you've done with that character in so neatly and so well that it is frankly just it, it, it's amazing. I This is my game of the year front runner by a mile. Wow. And in a year where like I know Zelda's on the horizon. I know 16's on the horizon. I know uh, potentially Rebirth and Starfield are Have on the horizon. Have you heard the good news about Fire Emblem Engage? Oh, that's a great Look, game too. Cat, I love Engage. I like, I like Fire Emblem, but I love Octopath too. Like this, this mm. game has won me over in a way I did not think it was going to. Uh, and is... Honestly, if I was going to sit down and somebody was like, I want I want a classic RPG experience. I want I want to play just a good old fashioned feel good RPG. It's Octopath 2. It's that this is comfort food in the in the the purest, most beautiful form. So I comfort food. Yeah, that's a phrase we haven't used in a while now. It's also comfort uh, food. I mean, you can you can go into depth with with our episode with Schreier, but the way that it kind of leaves you to solve things on your own with its side mm, quest uh-huh. and its map is really compelling. I was just saying before the show started, uh, I was in the town, I think it's called the Brightlands Town. <clears throat> I forget the exact name, but it's basically capitalist hellhole. And uh-huh. the town, since it's where the, in, the steam engine is being manufactured and uh, improved upon, it's just full of espionage. Like every person who you look into, look into their stories, they're all out to kill someone. There's one character who just d- d- destroyed me laughing where for some reason he's immune to poison. And so all the assassins in the town have taken bets who could poison him first. So this poor guy's Rasputin and they're all experimenting on him. That's hilarious and it's terrible and it's dark, but it's the kind of thing that you get if you take the time to look through all these side stories and Octopath Traveler too. They did a really good job. I'm as surprised as Eric really. And I love the first game. I see that Octopath Traveler 2 is the Xenoblade Chronicles 3. It kind of is. Of 2023, where Eric and Nani are going to be like, but Octopath Traveler 2, a game that I've put 150 hours into, 
is the greatest game. But but I was like this time. in hour ten. I was like this at hour ten. Like sure, it, sure. it did not like that's the thing that's amazed me. And I'll even say this was a problem with Xenoblade, is Xenoblade did not maintain momentum. It had its starts no. and stops. And I, I think the side quests in Xenoblade, while while good, are not as interesting as Octopaths because Octopath, like we talked about, brings you into the world. All the path actions that you can do to kind of like talk to people, like they they pull some things at the end of the game that I desperately want to spoil in the spoiler cast, uh, where you do things with path actions and they just open up in a way that feel they, they remind me of times when i've played zero escape or stuff like that mm-hmm. you know when you play a game and you like do something and you're like am i supposed to be doing yeah, this there's a lot of that should i am i allowed to do this and the game's like yes you are yes no keep going keep going and it's like kind of pulling you along tugging you along like here's your systems now break them and that's the combat too oh my i'm so broken in this game right now i'm beating enemies like 20 levels higher than me because i've just developed this cursed strategy that works so well and it's it, it's so rewarding to have that in a game where it's like hey you want to bust the system wide open we will reward you for being smart and figuring out how the system works and yeah, it's it is just an amazing thing between this and Chained Echoes. Like people are just feasting right now for these these classically inspired Truly. RPGs. Uh, as I had already mentioned, we're streaming for a lot of people right now. And so a lot of people are reacting in the chat. And Joao Aruda said, watch you guys while grinding on Bravely Default 2. Perfect. That is a great choice for an yeah. RPG. Love Bravely Default 2 a lot and uh yeah no um and my one you wanted to know did you finish xenoblade chronicles 3 eric uh the fifth amendment tells me that i don't have to answer <laughs> that question uh so Dude, i will delete it. it just finish it man <laughs> yeah it's just like me stopping at the final quest to follow four because i didn't want it to end yeah yeah, kind of, except uh, Xenoblade's a good game. So. Oh, oh, oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow, you're betraying Xenoblade Chronicles 3. Tisk, tisk. Um, Nadia, I, I'm almost hesitant to bring up Final Fantasy XIV, but I'm just kind of fascinated because you wrote, building a nightclub for moon rabbits in Final Fantasy XIV, one of them is building a temple to summon a demon, question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. Yeah, so uh, Final Fantasy... Is this like Call to the Lamb stuff going on here? Heck yeah. Basically, Final Fantasy XIV patch 6.35 has like quests now where you can help. There's a... Basically, the moon is is sitting like dormant in Final Fantasy XIV and it was supposed to be part of a big thing. It didn't happen. But there's... You can build a nightclub now for these... You you know the naming ways, right? From Final Fantasy IV, the little robot... The little rabbit dudes. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, so those are a race in Final Fantasy XIV. They're called Loperitz. So I'm built, helping them build this like nightclub and doing that kind of involves doing like these kind of grindy fetch quests for everybody. And one of the quests I'm doing is getting like, a, it seems to be paraphernalia for one of the naming ways, this one called Thrilling Way, who is looking to summon a demon or something. Nobody knows what he's doing, <laughs> but I'm just, they say, oh, can you do it for him, please? So I mean, it's, it's his dream. The whole big thing is we have to realize our dreams and his dream is to summon a demon and then... We hey. have to be. We ha- we have to encourage him. So yeah, they're uh, valid. They're exactly are valid. Mm-hmm. I support mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> the way this probably is going to work is that as I get higher leveled in the quest, uh, something's going to come of it, and it's going to be pretty pretty horrific. But I love the little roper, the loperets. They're 
too freaking They're adorable. Cute. They're so I good. love the way they say the word bugger all the time. They're like, I mm-hmm. bugger these ears. I can't hear bugger <laughs> all. Like, it's hilarious coming out of their little mouths. Felipe, did you ever get into Final Fantasy fourteen? Did it? Did you hear the good news about Final Fantasy fourteen? No, I, I'm very sorry. Like MMOs is my big blind spot. I never played no, anything. It's okay. Since... I'm kind of relieved, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> now, like ever since World of Warcraft, I stopped in Pandaria and never went back. Oh, really? That is fair. That is fair. I, uh, Eric and Nadia, big Final Fantasy fourteen people. In fact, you, uh, Nadia, you just released uh, Charlie and Dropouts. Uh, yes. This past week, yeah. It That's is our a, Final Fantasy fourteen podcast. It is a free episode, so everyone is welcome to uh, listen to it. If you subscribe at the five dollar level, you get an extra episode every every uh, month. But yeah, it was me, uh, Victor Hunter, friend of the show, and uh, one of the hosts for Charlie and Dropouts, and Eric, and we talked about the Blue Mage class and uh, mm. how it functions. Acts in, of the Blue God. Yeah, Acts <laughs> of the Blue God, and how it functions in Blue. Final Fantasy fourteen versus other. Final Fantasy games like, uh, for example, Strago from Final Fantasy VI, who I never used mm-hmm. because he was expensive and weak. It was honestly kind of a like mini job quest, like we've done in the in in the past. Those are fun, but for Blue Mage, yeah, yeah, yeah I love it was those. it was really good. The Blue Mage, uh, and Eric was throwing bombs in the chat by saying that Kamari from Final Fantasy X is his least favorite Blue Mage. It, well, he's he's a bad he's a bad he's blue mage. I'm sorry. I love he's Kamari. He's an objectively bad blue mage. Because his his blue mage the same way that I love Riku, but Riku's not I a great Riku. chemist because they were like, let's give them cool abilities and then make you have to use overdrive to use them. And I want to use them all the time. I, I don't want to have to wait until I have overdrive to use them. <laughs> wow, so many nice comments in the chat. By the way, a lot of congratulations on Axe of Blood God 400 and people saying that they've listened to us since. Active time babble back in the one. Dang, now that's dedication. Oh, <laughs> that's amazing. Incredible. Okay. It's also uh, coming out this week, March 14th, The Legend of Heroes, Trails to Azure. It is the second episode in the Crossbell arc. It's the follow-up from Trails from Zero. Well-received so far. It's got an 85 on Metacritic. And uh, we're going to be talking about this one next week and i think the main question that i have is should we pick this one up is this one worth picking up just sight unseen or should somebody play trails from zero first and i'm going to say probably you want to play trails from zero before you get to trails to azure i think that most of the trails games do connect uh in a way that you do want to try to play them chronologically uh i did step it but it's all kind of neatly divided into little trails chunks like you can play Trails of Cold Steel, pick that up. You don't really have to play Trails in the Sky first. Although you should, because it's a really great RPG. And you do have, I mean, there's the Marvel Extended Universe, and then there's the Falcom Extended Universe, which is like this. Like, it's been going on since I was a kid. So the Falcom Extended Universe. <laughs> so you're going to see characters from other games kind of wander and say, hi, everyone. And if you know, you know, and you're thrilled. And if you don't know, you're still like, oh, cool. Hi, character. Nice to see you. So, yeah, you can't really go wrong. But I would say... Um, like for I skipped Trails of Cold Steel too and got went right to three and didn't have a huge problem. There's also a lot of like filler stuff that they put in if you want to read it or whatnot. But I would try to go in order as much as you can. You will see characters and stuff that will make your your day a little shinier. A little shinier, yeah. Uh, we did a Pantheon of the Blood God on Trails in the Sky, and I really enjoyed it. It was it like was settling in with a an epic novel. That to me is a 
we're talking about traditional RPGs. That one felt like it just fell out of the PlayStation and into my Steam Deck. It was kind of it wonderful. also kind of gets rid of all the jank that came with playing the jank, like the PlayStation. Jank. It was yeah, a little gotta, janky. Gotta the jank, the jank, the jank, but not as bad as like you know waiting for summons to go for five hours on Final Fantasy VII or whatever. That's not okay. jank. That's part of the spectacle. Come on, yeah. there you go. It's a character. It's part of the the charm. Builds you know? character. <laughs> what? I'm sure Felipe is thinking, what is an RPG without jank? Truly. Mm, <laughs> jank, Truly, jank. yes. If you're not like, getting I, I, jank, I, I, you're doing it wrong. I'm 100% for the, the flaw gems and all the, like, mm. if, exactly like you said, like, if it's not janky, then you're not being bold enough. <laughs> I like you, Felipe. I like you. <laughs> Felipe, I, Arcana of Magic Obscurum one of the jankiest RPGs of all time. One of the best RPGs of all time, you mean. Why do people love it so much? <laughs> I mean, it is do, a do game... Do we have an hour? <laughs> I'll just say this. Okay. The bad parts. The combat is absolute garbage. And the second half of the game is unfinished. <laughs> so that, these are like kind of like bad parts of the game, you can say. What is good is everything else from the quest design to the absolute let's say the way they handle the setting this whole thing about like moral decisions about you have a fantasy setting going through industrial revolution and all questions like oh can you put orcs to work in factories for lower wages than you would pay a human can you use necromancy to have like undead people working as factories like can can you do that oh my god that's terrible yeah i'm into this and all the things like you can go to any NP- NPC in the game, kill them, and then use necromancy to revive the spirit and ask questions to finish quests. It's like <laughs> mind-blowing. Oh, that's, that's, yeah, that sounds insane, but in a great all, way. All my favorite RPGs is I, I've learned sit in that area where it's like Vampire Bloodlines, one of my favorite of all time unfinished end of that game and combat's terrible but everything else about it is just pure gold it's so like good like Morrowind like combat in uh-huh. Morrowind is terrible everything is mm-hmm. amazing <laughs> kind of reminds me of uh, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet where uh, yes it was terribly unfinished but I think because all the jank was really funny most of the time instead of game breaking it just barely got away with it like I saw scenes where people would be like playing and watching a nice cut scene and then like a Pokemon would just like come on the screen and, and scream for half a second, like seriously, sort of God five minutes <laughs> of Freddy's. And just that kind of thing. When I saw it on Twitter, I, I died. Like I still can't play the game. I'm going to wait till there's less jank. I don't know if it'll ever happen, but that, that made my day when it happened. <laughs> five nights at Pokemon. <laughs> five nights at Pokemon. The jank, the jank. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, that's it for what we have been playing. And now it's time for a series of random encounters. Starfield has been officially delayed to September 6th, which I'm personally grateful for because I don't have to choose between my children now. I can go right from Final Fantasy 16 and Diablo 4 onto Starfield. Thank you, Bethesda. I'm so happy. Xbox is officially hosting a showcase in June, but will not have an E3 show floor presence. Forspoken sales have been lackluster, and the games that they expected to do better did not, says Square Enix. What a surprise! They got absolutely no marketing support, and Square Enix is constantly dragging its own games, and they're like, actually... Surprise Pikachu face, these games aren't doing well. I don't understand. Gee, they just took a, stuffed them all in a blunderbuss and shot them at the end of the year and said, like, we're all supposed to scatter like chicken and, and grab them. <laughs> we gave you everything you wanted. Why didn't you buy it? <laughs> <laughs> we put Tactics Ogre on your Steam Deck. <laughs> this is secondhand, but supposedly the teams all got to set their own release dates and they all just kind of clumped together in the <laughs> same oh, spot. Oh, God. <laughs> That's a Hell yeah. great idea. <laughs> it's yes, the, the Simpsons bit of all the diseases inside Mr. Burns <laughs> trying to shove through the door. <laughs> and also, for Square Enix doesn't really have a marketing department anymore. So none of these games are getting support. They throw their, their support behind all the bad games and then don't support the good games. Though, I mean, we have the, the Forspoken Rehabilitation has already begun, as we saw last week. Uh, with uh, Ash Parish. <laughs> Look, I I have not played Forspoken to be clear, but I do think that game, like many video games nowadays, just got shoved into the middle of a giant tizzy online because it was the latest thing everybody could fight about online, and I I tire of that. I it it sounds like it was a fine like capital F fine video game. It's not gonna blow the doors off, but it's not you know name whatever broken mess you want here. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. Speaking of broken messes, a patch is in the works for the Outer Worlds Spacer's Choice Edition, as players have reported performance issues, and uh, there have been apologies uh, for that one. Uh, That's the version that brought together all of the uh, DLC and whatnot on PS5. Uh, Obsidian, they're under Xbox, but some things just never change. Pokemon users are reporting save file issues after the most recent update, though the pool seems small, at the least, for now. Um, It's unclear what is causing these save file issues. Um, Stay frosty out there. Maybe don't connect Pokemon Go (laughs) to this one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, League of Legends MMO producer Greg Ghostcrawler Street is leaving Riot, and Wargroove is getting a sequel. Wargroove 2. It's the best Advance Force. Uh, not an RPG, but it's... What? 
RPG. What are you just? Did you just say that Advance Wars is an what? RPG? What? What are you no, talking you said, about? No, you said you said Wargroove is the best Advance Wars clone. Oh, clone. Okay, I was like, no, cap. No, no, Peel no. that one back. No, Bring no, it no, back no, no. on it. Okay, okay. No, no. Okay. Advance Wars okay. blows the doors okay. off Wargroove. Okay, okay, good, yeah. good. I, I actually I like found War it Groove. rather boring. <laughs> I, I think Wargroove's again. Capilla, fine. And I, I'm interested to see what they do with the sequel. Yeah, there was some balancing issues, but something they can kind of vault over as they make a sequel. So it'd probably be pretty yeah. good. Yeah. But our main topic is, it's Acts of the Blood God, episode 400, and it's time to return to the the discourse that has driven this podcast since day one. That has been a, a fundamental part of our Discord experience. Uh, remove the number days since we asked, what is an RPG? Reset the clock. We're talking about what is an RPG. We're going all the way back to the beginning. Episode one of Acts of the Blood God, which is titled appropriately, What is an RPG? And we had, at that time, Jeremy Parrish and Bob Mackey and myself, and maybe Mike Williams, I can't remember. Um, and we asked the, the question. And it's been 400 episodes. I feel like I've learned a lot. At the uh, beginning of Buffy the Vampire Slayer season five, episode one, they have, or the season finale, they have a a moment where they show a still screen from every single episode up until that point in a very rapid fire montage. And that's what I'm thinking of right now. But yeah, no, I feel like I've learned a lot about RPGs and how RPGs are made and the origins of RPGs in episode acts of the blood God, uh, 300. We talked about the earliest days of the genre, the roots of the genre. We talked about Ultima and wizardry and, uh, the, the games that were most formative, for the genre. I think that's really key to understanding what quote unquote is an RPG what the, the formative parts of it. And during the, uh, the discourse uh, that was caused by Naoki Yoshida, when he said that the term Japanese RPG is somewhat discriminatory in his mind, I said that in my mind, you could say RPGs are like a tree, a monetary, you might say. Hey, hey, hey. And at the roots are token and war games. And then you have games like Ultima and Wizardry, Dungeons and Dragons. Dungeons and Dragons is like the part that goes up above uh, token and war games. And then you have Ultima and Wizardry. And then you have Dungeon and you, then you have Dragon Quest. And Dragon Quest splits into its own branch. And then the branches keep spreading out until you have this sprawling, huge oak, redwood perhaps, since I'm based in California. Uh, what's your take on this uh, analogy, Felipe? Like you're you're a scholar, you you know a lot about RPGs, so I'm I'm curious what you think. Okay, I'm going to bring a bit of a controversial take here. Ooh, that is like I don't think you can. Yes, you can say like it's RPGs, computer RPG starts in from D and D. Mm-hmm. But I think from the very start, it was never, the moment they went to computers, it was never a single tree. It was already like a giant orchard or something like this. And this is, I think, let's say the biggest revelation I had when studying the history of RPGs is that we have a very distorted view of what the past actually was. Because when you think about, let's say, RPGs in the 80s, or like in, you're thinking about, yeah, Wizardry, you're thinking about Ultima, then Wasteland, and these classic games, but you're not thinking about all the others that were there that, let's say, 
maybe they were even more popular or maybe they were like um, more critically acclaimed, but then we don't have the legacy right now. Right. And this is something that happens all the time. Like uh, a lot of people talk about how like action RPGs really appear in the 90s, but you have them since like 81, you already have a bunch of uh, action RPGs. I guess uh, and, Temple of Apshi, was that be, would that qualify as an action RPG? or? I mean, we have, let's say, you could say that qualifies because a lot of those games, they have that system where it is, it's turn-based, but the right. turn is based on seconds. And it goes so fast that, let's say, if you don't push the, let's say, the controller for like one second, the other characters are moving. So yeah. it's almost like real time, let's say. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's real time on a very low frame rate. Mm. You can put it <laughs> yes. this way. Yeah, good point. But you have a lot of variations of this. And I think when we start to look into what is an RPG and all the evolutions, because we focus so much on the big names, we get kind of surprised that we have all these parallel uh, evolutions going on. And I think my best example is one that appeared actually after I finished the first edition of the book, which is um, the whole origin. You were talking about the Falcon games and everything. The whole origin of the entire uh, Trails in the Sky and the entire, like, uh, the how, how they call it, the Dragon, uh, Dragon Slayer. Dragon Slayer, series. yeah. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, the whole Dragon Slayer series actually comes from a game called The Caverns of Freytag which is a 1982 game that it has the same thing that we're talking about now. It's turn-based, but like uh, with very short timing. So it's based like real time with uh, low frame rate. Yeah. And it's a, a very niche and very obscure American game. Oh. But one Japanese developer made a tweet, I think like five years ago, saying like, oh yeah, we began making the first Dragon Slayer. It was inspired by this game that I found. Huh. Wow. And that when you look at them, it's obvious. Like they're basically the same game. And you so you have a niche game from the United States going all the way to Japan because Falcon was originally an Apple II importer in Japan. Mm-hmm. A developer in Japan found this game and starts making Dragon Slayer, which is one of the pillars in Japan for Absolutely. the whole action RPGs in Japan. So when you start tracing all this influence and these evolutions, you start seeing that RPGs from the very start, they were not only much more varied than we imagine, there were much more things than just like Ultima and Wizardry and Rogue, but also that this influence between like the United States and Japan and other regions, it keeps going back and forth. It's not just like Wizardry, Ultima, uh, Dragon Quest, and then... It spreads forever. No, there was they keep uh, always back. cross-pollination. Hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that is really interesting when you start like to accompany the true history. Like we were talking in the pre-show, like how Planescape Torment not only reference uh, Final Fantasy on the credits, the developers thank Final Fantasy VII and VIII for the inspiration, but they have some animations just like Final Fantasy VII. So you wouldn't imagine that like one of the icons of PC RPGs mm-hmm. is taking so many influence from Final Fantasy VII and VIII. And this is like a constant throughout the entire history of RPGs. Absolutely. And even in Japan, say, uh, the developers were playing each other's games and taking ideas from it. Uh, I remember 
not too long ago, I think it was from the Fire Emblem Engage, or it was for the Fire Emblem Three Houses episode, maybe, reading an interview uh, between uh, Sakaguchi and the creator of Fire Emblem, and they were having a conversation and saying like, oh, no, yeah, I was totally inspired by Final Fantasy. It was like really cool. And Sakaguchi being like, yeah, when Fire Emblem came out, we played it because nobody had ever seen anything like it. And we were kind of fascinated by the permadeath mechanic. And like, what's up with that and everything, and the difficulty. And we couldn't really wrap our heads around it. And um, yeah, somebody was describing it in the chat as a network. Um, <laughs> a web. A series of exchanges. Um, a Mobius strip, yeah. A Mobius strip. <laughs> a series of tubes. You think of it as almost like DNA, mm-hmm. where they're like... Mm-hmm base proteins and everything but then at the same time it's all so intertwined intertwined and complex that as to not be able to tease them apart i'm glad to know that my uh my analogy that i was so proud of was incredibly simplistic (laughs) no i I don't think it was simplistic i think it's just like uh, instead of a tree just several trees because like you have a lot of different starting points but yeah, exactly. It's almost like an orchard. A, They're all bearing different fruit. Wow. We I, no, really I think, missed the forest for the trees there, huh? Bamboo oh, kind of shares uh, the same root, something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I I was telling uh, Felipe before the episode that my own history with RPGs, I, I think that where you start with RPGs is pretty fundamental to your understanding of RPGs. And mm-hmm. personally, I started with Pokemon. Final Fantasy VII, mm. uh, a classic console RPGs from the 90s. And it wasn't until I had, was already in the games media that I really started to discover the, the classics like Black Isle Studios and Bioware and like the old school Bioware games. I, I was certainly aware of games like KOTOR and whatnot. So I've always kind of looked at RPGs through a particular lens. But then I know people like our friend of the show, Jason Wilson, who grew up in the 80s, and he was playing all of the the, the classics, as it were, um, on PC. And over time, there have been different philosophies that have kind of grown out of uh, different RPGs. Um, I mean, in the 80s, a lot of them were trying to be a holodeck. Sandboxes. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. had pretty poor stories whereas a lot of the uh, maybe the games that were being de- developed in Japan were more manga based, more story based, mm, sure. more art based. And I'm not saying that as we said it's all interconnected. There are certainly RPGs developed in Japan that are not <laughs> story based as it were. I just go play a train odyssey. That game doesn't have a story. Are you kidding me? It's a, it's a PCRPG all the way down. But uh, you have your much more, you have your open world, you have your open world RPGs like the um, that are really trying to, like Skyrim, for example, that are, tr- are in the best tradition of old school RPG design. Yeah. And then you have your like, it's all about the story like Octopath Traveler 2, but then all the systems also come into play. I'm, I don't even know what point I'm trying to make. I'm I'm just kind of rambling. Well, I, this is what I, this topic does. The, the point is 13 Sentinels is an RPG. Yes, it is. But uh, <laughs> the, the thing you brought up oh, that no. I think is interesting is that it is a network and we are trying to like, 
you know, break down the taxonomy through games, but something you hit on and that I think is important is that art doesn't just reflect previous art within its own medium, but it reflects art throughout many mediums. I mean, you can't look at early dragon quests to not also consider like the popularity of Shonen jump and things like that. And I, I think it's super cool to go back and look at some of this stuff, not just in the context of game timelines and how games evolved, even within other genres of games, people were being inspired by things. So many times I've interviewed developers and I'll, I'll go in expecting when I ask them, you know, what was your inspiration for this? And I'll expect them to talk about things within their genre, you know, obvious predecessors. And instead they're like, Oh, I was playing Hades and I thought about this thing. Or I was playing uh, like other games that just inspired me in very specific ways or even just pieces of art that really moved them. And they're like, how do I replicate this within the thing that I know how to do and the thing that I love to do? And I think RPGs are sometimes the most interesting reflections of that because we have everything from which RPG is it that has all the um rock song references in it oh Naughty, that you was would know. so good uh summoner war no not summoner war. that's another game uh song summoner yeah that yeah, was like, a like, fun ass game and just would not exist today i i think there's an incredible way of looking at rpgs that they tend to because of how in-depth they are because of how much creativity they inspire from their creators and, and how much they have to put into these characters in this world is that they end up reflecting the creator's inspirations in very unique and interesting ways and and that plays as much a part in the lineage of rpgs as anything else does well i'm always uh making well i mean i'm always yelling about how uh baz lorman's romeo and juliet how much that inspired uh a lot of movies that came out sorry a lot of games that came afterward uh tetsuya nomura was such a huge fan of baz lorman and i guess <laughs> you, you I, I just remember looking at Romeo and Juliet after playing like so many years of games. I'm like, holy shit, these characters are like, there's Prompto. There's like, you know, Waka. Like they all look the same. And they all like talk the same way. And it was great. I love it. I had that article on Inverse. Go look it up. It's actually uh, pretty fun. We talked about this on the the Monolith Soft um, uh, dev quest, but like Takahashi loved Gunbla. Loved Just a little bit. And, like, I love that story. Like, that's that stuff is so crucial that stuff is so important to not just understanding how we got individual rpg games but how these important pieces of media shaped the genre because then other games would take inspirations from that it's this like trickle down effect of all these media inspirations he he puts the the gunpla on the on the table says here's my pitch for a game this is a gunpla yes it's like Hideaki, I know. Look, I grew up with Ultraman, Godzilla, and Gundam, and goddamn, I'm going to make an anime about them. I am qualified <laughs> in ways you do not know. And you know what is really funny? Because like we're very used to, let's say, the North American games and uh, the Japanese games. Like, mm-hmm. But when you move outside of those, so when you go into the French JRPGs from the 80s, Mm-hmm. when they were like very inspired especially by the graphical novels you see like and those are games like made by ubisoft like the very first games mm-hmm. that ubisoft made in the 80s yeah. the aesthetic and the whole logic of the game is completely different from anything we have even now like nothing was compared to let's say go back to 1989 when ubisoft made bat which is like the beauty of uh, astro-technological uh, detectives or something like this, it's, an, it's a completely like 
bizarre RPG where you're set in a city in a sci-fi world and it's an open world game where you explore every corner of the city in a comic book fashion. So every like place is like a panel in a comic. Oh, like comic zone on the Genesis. <laughs> no, it's like even because it's ecstatic, you don't walk, you just like click through panels. Oh, I see. And it's actually like an open world, like almost like GTA. So you can go into a bar, you can drink, you can go like into a casino and you can play. Like they would make like that kind of holodeck thing, but with a comic book aesthetic. And it's something completely unique, inspired by French uh, graphic novels and you look at that no one ever did something like this even the French didn't do anything like this again because they had those very specific influences another one of those that I I met during like uh, my research was the Chinese ones the Chinese RPGs mm. they are heavily inspired by uh, Wuxia novels yes. so mm. the the swordsman things uh, especially the novels by Jin Yong which is like a uh, People say like the the Chinese Lord of the Rings, but in terms of let's say of influence, and this led to a lot of different decisions in how they handle uh, story, how they handle romance, their approach to games. While let's say in the West we were still doing like very basic um, stories, were like oh you defeated the evil wizard mm-hmm. and you kill a dragon and everything. They were already doing like very complex stories because they were doing like in let's say 90 uh, 1991 they were already doing like complete adaptations of novels into rpgs like chapter by chapter so their stories were much right. richer than what we had and it's really interesting to see these influences because then you can go back to american games or go back to japanese games and see how they differ in this way but then as zero lex said now they're making a Assassin's Creed mediocre RPGs. And I guess that brings me hey, to the hey next. Now. I mean, they are. And that brings me to the next part of this discussion, I think, is the so-called RPG elements, which is recently, in fact, this week, we didn't mention in Random Encounters, but Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League was delayed, reportedly, because of the poor reception. And a piece of the poor reception was that everybody saw loot scores and nonsense skill trees <laughs> that they had just cribbed and put into this game that's a live service game, I guess. And it's going to have a battle pass. And at some point, these developers took the fundamentals of RPGs, the building blocks, and used them for evil. They realized, they realized yes. that grinding... <laughs> equals engagement and such the fundamental pieces were corrupted turned into a bad place and then and the we Fire got Nation games attacked. like destiny suicide squad killed the justice league the freaking legion of open world just uh we called them game loaf <laughs> game loaf games mm. primarily ubisoft that position themselves as RPGs, but they have no soul. They are soulless and corrupted. So the thing I'm going to bring up here is, again, that I think broader context is important because, yes, they have used RPG elements for bad. They have used it for evil. But this is also part of a 
broader trend in the gamification of every aspect of our lives. Go read some stuff about the gamification of how like Amazon warehouse workers end up in that stuff. It's oh, it's bad. That would depress but me. I don't think I could do that. That that is the thing is like I at some point these RPG mechanics, which already inspire long play times, heavy character investments, uh, the feeling of of growth and and satisfaction and having accomplished a task that previously seemed unattainable, uh, all these things that create really good brain feelings. Suddenly, people who want to make money figured out that they could drive engagement with it. And I don't think all number go up games are bad, to be clear. I I don't play Destiny, but I follow Destiny. I think the lore of Destiny and the things that they do in that game are super cool and super interesting. I play Final Fantasy 14 because I'm a broken man. But <laughs> it's, uh, like, numbers go up. I, I do think, especially for some games, especially for some publishers, uh, I'm, I'm looking specifically at Warner Brothers because not only do we have the Suicide Squad and Gotham Knights, both of which had servicey game things in there, but even... Injustice 2, for some reason, had loot in it, and I still don't because understand why. It all why. started with World of Warcraft. It, yeah. and it's, They looked at the color-coded loot gnarly. and realized that people wanted that color-coded loot. That, like, wow, colors. And then having that, that hook, having that carrot, would invariably keep play, people playing. Uh, publishers watched World of Warcraft very closely, and then Destiny came along. We all know what happened to that. Destiny found a way to counselize, shooterize. They'd found a way to turn World of Warcraft into a damn shooter. <laughs> and yeah, and yeah. we were off. And since then, various games have tried to capture what Destiny was able to do, except they don't understand that the reason that Destiny is successful is because it's a damn good shooter. It's a really, really good shooter. And that's what keeps dragging people in and they're willing to put up with the grind and it has an aesthetic and you just can't be destiny. You can't. Sorry, side, sorry, suicide squad killed the justice league. You can't be freaking destiny. And, and destiny was not immediately good. No, either. it took a while. Important point to make is that destiny. Oh, I would say up <laughs> until taken King did not really become what it is today. Uh, launch destiny was not great. <laughs> and, uh, a lot of games are trying to I mean, they they do the same with Fortnite, right? They try to yeah. make this thing. Oh. They see one company doing something successful and they do the Tobias Fumke. Well, it hasn't worked for anybody else, but maybe it'll work for us. R.I.P. <laughs> First Soldier. Yeah, I I I think the weirder part is all of this stuff being shoved into distinctly single player game experiences. Uh, I have on this podcast expressed that I was not a fan of God of War Ragnarok. I'm not a fan of Horizon. I'm really like that design of we took this really like good single player game and put a bunch of loot numbers and modifiers in it. Like frank, frankly, nonsense. Imagine Just if the Last of Us had that, that loot make system. No in difference. There. Like, like I, wh- whatever your feelings are on the Last of Us, I think everybody can agree is extremely well crafted, polished, extremely interesting thing and a lot of games have tried to do that yes but they've tried to do that while putting those numbers on there and can you imagine going back and playing the last of us and you're in this like emotional experience with joel and ellie and all of a sudden joel's like i picked up a pistol and it's got plus two percent critical attack <laughs> <laughs> against zombies like, no wait they're not zombies yeah now now 
Professor Roche in the in the comments in the chat is correct. Joel does need more sexy gotcha outfits. But I that agree. is a completely different. Your, your sexy Joel. <laughs> I mean, Pedro Pascal is quite I, I'm sexy. An SSR outfit. Uh, going back, <laughs> Ellie, where'd you find this? Uh, somebody in the chat said. I blame Diablo personally. And this this hits at an interesting point of discourse that goes way back in the RPG community because Diablo gave us color-coded loot. Mm. And when we think of a Diablo, we think, well, it's an RPG-ass RPG. It uh, has its roots in roguelikes back in the day, mm-hmm. pure Not dungeon really. crawling. <laughs> it was going to be turn-based, but then it got turned into an action-based game and introduced a lot of fundamentals Interestingly enough, it cribs skill trees from strategy games, but mm, made them mm. into what we think of it as a fundamental part of, of RPGs, gave us socketed items and everything. But when Diablo came out, there was a ton of discourse in the PC RPG community. This isn't an RPG. What the hell? Stop calling yes. it an RPG. You can't have a freaking action-based click, 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 click RPG <laughs> and be it. Uh-huh, mouse going, going, yeah, that was discourse, but- all right. <laughs> I think like there's two points. First, you had those people saying that. Mm-hmm. And even like into the 2000s, they were like, oh, Diablo 2 destroy games because now you have like damage per second. What is this? Like mm-hmm. you used to attack DPS, like once every yeah. round and now you have DPS. This is nonsense. But also the people who say like RPGs are not like real time and everything. I think that is part of the distorts view we have of history. Because let me tell you something about the 90s. When people talk about PC RPGs in the 90s, they usually talk about two time periods, right? In the early 90s, you have games like Ultima 7, Ultima Underworld, you have uh, Darklands, you have Betrayal at Krondor. And at the end of the 90s, you have the classics like Fallout, Baldur's Gate, Planescape Torment, System Shock, and those things, right? Yeah. In the middle of the 90s, what was happening was the golden age of real-time dungeon crawlers. So we had Eye of the Beholder 1, 2, and 3. We had uh, Anvil of Dawn. We had Lands of Lore 1, 2, and 3. We had Interplay, who in 1995 was spending $5 million to make one of the most expensive video games of the 90s. There was Stonekeep. There was like... Their response to Phantasmagoria was to make a real-time dungeon crawler with FMV, with real actors, to be the big hit. It was like the triple-A video game of <laughs> the 90s. Yeah. Lens of Lore 1, they had Patrick Stewart doing the voice of the king because it was also like one of the biggest release. Those are all real-time RPGs about dodging creatures and attacking and everything. And those were like the big hits, the big sellers of the mid nineties. Mm-hmm. So someone then going, "Oh, Diablo is not a real RPG." I'm like, "What are you talking about?" Like, <laughs> yeah, you missed the bus on that one, buddy. It's funny. Uh, it, in your big thread, which I encourage people to read on Twitter about uh, in response to the Naoki Yoshida discourse, you reference Scorpia, who was um, a columnist for Computer Gaming World oh, back yes. in the day. And it's funny to go back and read uh, her columns from the early 90s saying it was the absolute worst time to be an RPG fan. RPGs <laughs> oh, are dying. Summer child. All summer I want to do is play Ultima 4. This is the absolute worst. And I mean, it was kind of a crappy time to be a PC RPG fan, certainly 
in the early 90s, the, the rise of multimedia and everything, uh, there was a whole thing where Ultima Un Underworld, and this is a piece of something I want to ask Felipe in a second. Ultima Underworld comes out and dramatically outsells a classic Ultima game, much to Richard Garriott's chagrin. <laughs> He's like, what the hell? <laughs> uh, people were playing shooters. People were playing Doom. They were playing FPSs. That's, that's what they wanted. And so there was a sense that RPGs, much like strategy games, classic war games from the, from the 80s were old, outdated, and that kind of thing. Which brings me to my next question, Felipe. System Shock 2, RPG or nah? Oh, dearie me. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, I don't think we can go like, for me, it's 100% an RPG. Mm -hmm. But then I think like it goes to the broader question of what is an RPG? Yeah. And I think it's simply impossible. Let me tell you a, a trivia, a little story. Are you all familiar with the Berlin interpretation of roguelikes? No. Yeah. yeah. I don't think I am. Okay. Okay. Eric I'm does. The one, I, no. No. Yes. Really, no. <laughs> no. For a really dumb reason, I am I am aware of this definition. Yeah. Okay. So a, a quick story there. Roguelikes are one of the oldest styles of video games, not only of RPGs. Like mm -hmm. They go back from the 70s. And during all of history, they were like a really hardcore, really niche type of RPGs, right? They were turn-based, they had no graphics, was like everything text, really like difficult games. But then, in the mid-2000s, you start having games like Spelunky, mm -hmm. calling itself a roguelike, or like being called a roguelike, or with roguelike inspirations. And what happens then is that a bunch of roguelike, old-school roguelike developers go into a conference in Berlin and they draft the loss of what a roguelike must have, a true roguelike. So they go, it's very important that it has turn-based combat that is set in a randomly procedurally generated uh, area that uh, if you die, you lose everything. They set all these mm -hmm. things mm -hmm. and like high priority things, low priority, like it has to be a dungeon. It has to have AC graphics and everything. And they say, okay, these are the rules. And what happens? Not a single person followed those rules. Mm -hmm. No, it, it completely destroys. After that, you have games like Hades, like Binding of Isaac, like Slay the Spire, completely destroying the genre. And I think that is wonderful because there was a lot of criticism for the Berlin interpretation because it was constraining what a roguelike could be. It was mm -hmm. like making a little club. They're like, oh, you made a roguelike, but it's not fantasy. It's sci-fi. Like, mm, I'm not sure you should be in the club with us. Mm. <laughs> and gatekeeping. Then, mm. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. It's pure gatekeeping. Oh, and you don't, you don't play a real something. roguelike. Interesting, interesting. Tell yeah, me more well, about your lack of an identification test. Hmm. No, it is 100% like as a teenager who was a huge metalhead, is all of us going like, yeah, you know, mm. Slipknot mm. is not a true metal band. Like, Corn? You mean popcorn? Haha! <laughs> it's like, it's like yeah, because like you know, I am listening to Metallica and Iron Maiden, like true metal bands, not this popular garbage. Like it's the same kind of sentiment, and I completely understand like forging your identity and a community around mm -hmm. this and getting angry when people invade it. Like I am still kind of angry that Bethesda made what they did with Fallout Three. But, you know, it's part of the process of growing up. And I think it is important to have this because it's what gave us, let's say, Fallout New Vegas later. 
Yeah. If they just simply went, okay, no one can do Fallout unless it's like isometric and has to be turn-based and has to be this. So, you know, over time, I think it's part of like the maturing process, not only of the genre, but also the people playing the genre that you accept these differences. So that is basically my stance on RPGs. I think that I try to have the broadest as possible definition. I mean, someone comes from something outside of that, say, I want to make an RPG and this is what I'm doing. I'm really interested in that. And on that point, I really think System Shock 2 is an RPG, not only because it fits all the requirements that like I personally have, but also because its roots are 100% in RPG. It's inspired by Mega Traveler. The starting process of the game, when you go through the career, they choose, oh, I want to be a Marine, then go to like to spend uh, two years on Mars training to get one more constitution and stuff like this. This is directly taken for Mega Traveler. And it's like pure RPG goodness. I really like that thing. Mm-hmm. There you have it, yeah. everybody. System Shock 2. It's an RPG. Goes in the pants. At least I guess. for me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to springboard off that because we had this discussion like a couple of weeks ago where the, the quote from Yoshida about JRPGs, and, and this is coming through through Koji Fox, but I wanted to pull this this quote up from the, the skill up interview that we had around the 16 coverage. Uh Koji Fox said, one thing Yoshida wants to get across is that when we create games, we don't go into them thinking we are creating JRPGs. We are just creating RPGs. The term JRPG is used by Western media rather than users and media in Japan. And I think like everyone got in a tizzy because they're all like, what do you mean? I've been saying the wrong thing. So it was, it was all dumb. It was all stupid. But it, it, it highlights a very important thing that like people who make these games want to make these games and trying to ascribe that sort of Berlin interpretation of RPGs to them ends up limiting any amount of what we can imagine them to be. And I don't want to imagine a world where Disco Elysium is suddenly not considered an RPG because yeah, it doesn't it's an adventure game. The... Yeah, I've heard people <laughs> argue that and Disco Elysium break. is closer to a tabletop RPG in the most classical sense than most RPGs are today. <laughs> and that's why it's interesting. That's why Sizz and Sleeper to me is an RPG. It's not a visual novel. And I, I think it's important that we recognize that people are doing things that yes, they warp and expand and maybe challenge whatever preconceptions you have of what an RPG is, but that's a really cool, interesting thing and not something to suddenly turn your nose up at. You, you Can I, like being in Japan, there is something that is really interesting here. I'm going to show you, I have here the Japanese encyclopedia of role-playing games. Oh, not cool. of Japanese role-playing games, of mm-hmm. role-playing games by Japanese, like their view on the genre. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's really fascinating because it starts with the Western games. So it starts like, okay, Akalabeth, Wizardry, and all those things. Mm-hmm. But the moment you start reaching the 90s, it completely cuts out all the Western games. They're mm-hmm. like, you know, they don't, it, the, the encyclopedia goes until the 2000s. There's not a single mention of Diablo, of Fallout, of Baldur's Gate, of like what we consider the great classics. The last Ultima that they mentioned is Ultima 4. Because for them, it became like a completely different thing. And they mention games like we usually wouldn't mention. So it's a really fascinating experience to you know to see from the other side, like what they are seeing, what they consider to be RPGs. Absolutely. And it was going to change, like, no matter like 
uh, we were talking about in the pre-show about this as well. Like, as a Brazilian, when I was playing tabletop gaming my during my childhood, it was not Dungeons and Dragons. It was mm-hmm. a Brazilian system called Defenders of Tokyo. That it was mm-hmm. 100% based on anime stuff. So your character will be like a Power Ranger. Your friend will be playing like a Sakura Car Captors, and the other will have like a giant mecha. Cool. And this for us was like tabletop RPGs, not uh, dragons and wizards and everything. So it all depends on your roots and where you're coming from. Yeah, I mean, as like, a whole, you know, even Brazil, like you evolved in a completely different gaming atmosphere than most of the world. Like with the Sega Master System versus everything else that was going on in the world. Like it's a, it's, it's just really fascinating how different cultures just affect different things that way. That's why I'm not really Texas interested. are a pain, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm not really interested in the RPG. What is an RPG? I don't know. I don't like labels that much. I hate to sound it's like, like if a you go to Russia, edgy teenager, but yeah. If you go to Russia, they didn't really have uh, a lot of the traditional consoles, but they had a lot of clone consoles. They had the Dendi, the Famicom mm. clone. Just really for us, it was the same. Like, that's why we never really had Final Fantasy VI as a big thing for us. For us, the big one was Fantasy Star. Mm-hmm. That was, like, the amazing classic. If you ask, like, what is a classic RPG, they will go, like, Fantasy Star. Well, it is a classic. It's in the Pantheon, don't you know? It's a great game, yeah. The M2 remake or revamp was excellent. I recommend it to anyone. Ah, jeez. I, I had this question that I really wanted to ask uh, Felipe, but I'm... Uh... But I completely lost my train of thought, which is unfortunate, but I'm just going to move on briefly. So Len Hafer, a friend of the show, I consider her very smart, uh, came up with a definition of RPGs that I like, and I want to run by Felipe really quickly. We're talking about being inclusive, but also at the same time, it's kind of like, but okay, like let's sit, sit down and really think about what is an RPG. I mean, we think about how it's sort of the Supreme Court test of I, I know it when I see it. <laughs> but at the end of the day, like there are some games you just wouldn't call an RPG. I wouldn't call Doom an RPG. But uh, Len says, number one, it has to have meaningful character progression for which you can gain experience from a variety of activities. Number two, it has to have some level of character or party customization. Number three, it needs to have a variety of lootable or craftable items. And number four, the emphasis in conflict resolution should be based on considerations other than pure player Twitch skill, such as creating an effective build, understanding party synergies, or exploiting enemy weaknesses. My, like, you were talking about making a definition. When I was writing the book, I spent years trying to think of a definition to put in the intro, like you're making a book on RPGs. What is an RPG, right? And I try to do that whole process. And the thing is, the more I try to find those definitions, and like this one is a very good one, but I'm going to get into the problem right now, that (laughs) when you get into those details, not only you cut some games, they're like, everyone considers them RPGs because they will not fit into those things. Like, for example, like um, the moment you start saying, okay, Dark Souls, you can play at level one, you can finish the game at level, so level one, then why does build really matters? Like, do you have any mm. solution to problems? But for me, the biggest problem is when you do the opposite, not when you cut games off because they don't fit the definition, 
But when you start to add weird ones, <laughs> when you start to say, okay, by all these metrics that you're talking about, I could put GTA there. Mm. And you're like, <laughs> because not only because let's say, oh, you're thinking, what is the character customization and everything? GTA San Andreas, they had the same system that Fable had, that if you go to the gym, your character gets fit and he can run longer, he's stronger, and all those kind of things. Those are like stats. They are just not showing the numbers. So that was a character think, customization. Your character can get fat in that game. Yeah, like if you, you can explore the whole world, like in, in some ways, it's what Ultima was dreaming the whole time. They're like, oh, you can like, uh, you know, you can bake bread. You can you can go into McDonald's and you can order a dish and eat and get fat. Like this is the ultimate simulation that Richard Garriott was dreaming about. Even more now, <laughs> if you go... Yeah, if you go now and Dream. you play like uh, GTA Online, mm. the servers mm. that yes. they did on role playing, that mm. is like yeah. the ultimate yeah. RPG dream. It really but is. We don't call that an RPG. And like, I think that is the biggest issue. And like, in the end, my answer is that is more RPG is more like of a vibe, is more of an intention. Because what I just mentioned, like, no one goes to like, let's say, uh, Saints Row has even more stats than GTA. And you have like some choices on like how you want to do your progression and your factions and your items and all those things, your perks. Why we don't call them that an RPG? Because they don't present themselves as RPGs. They're not trying to be one. Even if they check more boxes than a lot of games that are actual RPGs, then you know that we consider them RPGs. So I think really at the end, what you're going for is like a a mood, a vibe, an intention behind the the whole de- process. Uh, I think also, though, there are RPGs that explicitly trace their lineage back to, it gets back to the tree definition, back to the roots of the genre, war games and, and D&D, and then the earliest, like, 1980s RPGs. Like, I would not say that GTA does that. I would not say that GTA is trying to capture the mood of a tabletop RPG or or anything like that. Like you can't trace a lineage with GTA. And so I think that's maybe not the whole answer, but it's at least a starting point. But the thing is like, can you say that Wizardry is trying to capture a tabletop role-playing game? When you have one player controlling yeah, six absolutely. characters at once, exploring <laughs> a dungeon? Your, dungeon crawling is the the freaking hard of D&D. That's what it started well, as. It was not about telling stories originally. It was a dungeon crawler. I, I think the point, though, is that it's it's at that point, D&D is about the communal experience. D&D is about interacting with other people in a party and a DM. And when you suddenly reduce that to... It, it, it's like the difference between playing chess with another person playing chess with a computer is that now you are... The, the AI is your DM and you're controlling a party. You're kind of playing the blackjack table by yourself, right? You're <laughs> playing all the hands. And that is the same game, but in many ways, it's also a fundamentally different game than the way it's intended to be played. And the yeah, way it's, it's like meant moving to be from poker to solitaire. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's you, you are playing the same like concept, but now you are doing it in a different way. And and also, as we've talked about many times, like the limitations early on of RPGs meant that it only feels like recently we've started to rekindle some of those ideas. Like one of the reasons I'm so excited about Baldur's Gate 3 is how Larian has been trying to reintroduce this sense of if you think it, you can do it in RPGs. The sort of like, oh, 
I could pick up this barrel and throw it at that goblin over there and he'll get sent flying off that cliff and he'll fall down a bunch of ways or, or Octopath 2 where I can use my path actions in really interesting ways to solve quests that don't just involve me doing a combat check. So like we're just now getting to the point, I feel, where we're starting to have those tools again, that that open sandbox almost. Breath of the Wild. Hey, is Breath of the Wild an RPG? Who's to say? Who's to say? Also, <laughs> even from coming from the table side, the tabletop side, you have things like the old school Renaissance thing going on with mm. RPGs. And they will basically like disagree with you on what is the focus on role-playing games because it's not like, oh, I'm in a dungeon killing a bunch of stuff and rolling die, but like the whole idea of, of improvisation and not relying so much on stats or on like, they don't want the Dungeons and Dragons, like the modern one, when you have like a huge table of how you solve things. You say, I will solve this way, and then you roll a die to see if you can solve it this way. So there are many approaches to what a tabletop RPG was as well. There are people who, like, right now there are tabletop RPGs that barely even have rules. It's just about like, oh, here's like some ideas, let's play and see how it evolves. So Mix stuff up as we go along. We call that Exactly, and those are, are really fun. Yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. like... Let's just go outside and it goes back to, I want to play, I just want to pretend. I want to play a pretend imagination game like the kind that you play when you were very young. But except yeah. it's no fun because then you could just say, well, I, uh, I... My character doesn't die. Uh, actually, they have this magic power. Yeah. Like, hold on, hold on. There's got to be some rules here. And that's when you start getting into tabletop games. But no, I no, wanted that, to... that is when you're playing Skyrim and the character doesn't <laughs> die. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not. I'm going to ignore that. He's too uh, cool Victor to die. Hunter. <laughs> Victor Hunter um, said, Advanced Wars is capturing the war game vibe, but it's been said not 20 minutes ago that it's not an RPG. No, it's not an RPG. Because uh, war games were a starting point, and then D and D took the the primordial soup of classical war games and used that, and then applied a a party building, storytelling, more personal level, rather than just directing troops around a field and that kind of thing. Like Advanced Wars is closer to the eighties war games, like freaking close combat. Was that eighties or nineties? I can't remember, but things like that. You know, I, I would not put it in the same bucket as your yeah, classical RPG. They, at least they need to have a name. Yeah. If the, your troops don't even have a name, like, yeah. is it really an RPG? Like, I mean, the, the the commanders are your true RPGs, but they can't kiss, so it's not an RPG. Exactly, uh, exactly. Voth what the, the Raven tanks says, kiss? with sports games, I think we we're getting into where do you draw the line between simulation and RPG discourse. Here's what I would say about that. Captain Tsubasa is an RPG. It's a freaking mm. tactics RPG with a sports layer. It's told like a manga. Captain Zubasa is an RPG. And is there the are... Sims an RPG? Sorry. Oh. The Sims is an the RPG. Sims. an RPG. It could be. You build up your characters, you name them, you kill them in swimming pools by taking away the ladder. They have skills on how they're good they are at work. I mean, they yeah, level kinda... up in their jobs. You come out with your own careers and stuff. <laughs> Do we consider like I feel like a fundamental part of this is that you're supposed to like like RPG characters are not supposed to be disposable in the way that that like like Sims are ethereal. Sims are intended to be ethereal. Have you ever You're... played tabletop RPGs? They die I know, so I... much. Well, <laughs> I'm just I'm saying like I'm saying like death is 
an impactful moment in an RPG, whereas death is an expectation in Sims. Like, you know, <laughs> how do you when play you, the Sims? <laughs> when you rip this, oh, I could tell stories Dude, my about Sims my Sims never die. I make them my immortal. Sister, I can't kill them. Uh, my my sister, I there's a thread out there on on Twitter that I detailed this, but I, I would watch my sister play The Sims, and she would routinely have her character marry men who were rich and then murder them for money to build up more uh more of her house. It's a fantastic time. It's really good. See, we're, uh, we're really black. Okay, I wanted to finish my point about sports games. Um, <laughs> a game like FIFA or Madden also has a franchise mode, which is a high level management sim. So actually, these a lot of these games like FIFA are Frankenstein's monsters of RPG modes and then management sim modes and then straight up arcade games and stuff like that. So that's what I would say about that. We're really in the shit now. Um, Abekin <laughs> says, except there's a long history of Warhammer RPGs, just like how D&D derived from chainmail. I'm glad that we had a chainmail reference in mm. this RPG. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What is mm-hmm. it? The RPG discourse is not complete without a chainmail reference. And actually, <laughs> I'm a, a hardcore history listener. Um, and at one point, there's an episode. Uh, the, the host, Dan Carlin, is actually an old school wargamer player. And he uh, he actually talks about playing games like chainmail and whatnot, like old, old, old school. And it's uh, I don't know where the exact episode is. It might be hardcore history addendum. Go check it out. Uh, his perspective is on that particular era is uh, pretty interesting in my mind. Um, we're almost out of time for this particular segment. We've been going for a while now, but <laughs> I'm going to open a little can of worms right now. Zelda RPG? Eh? It depends on the Zelda, I think. Depends on the Zelda. It depends That's an on the take. Zelda. Like, yeah. I don't really consider a link to the past. A, uh, a There's really nothing that you do. You, you level up your armor. You level up your sword. But other than that, it's very, very much more action-based than, say, Secret of Mana, if you want to make a direct comparison, where that is about less about, like, you know, mashing the button, more about strategically making doing your attacks, using your magic, uh, managing a party. It had, of course, building up your stats, building up your weapons. It had definitely more numbers go up than Link to the Past, although they played almost similarly. I I think Breath of the Wild is the closest that Zelda has come to being an RPG. I and think that's very just simple be- stats, very basic numbers. But I, I don't think it's... Well, it's about the ways they interact. It's about the way that if you are in a cold zone, you can freeze to death, but you can put on your warm clothing to deal with that or you can eat uh food that will give you resistance or you can do or like like i was watching a friend who has just started playing uh shouts to cam hawkins uh has just started playing breath wild and he came up to a tower that was covered in ice and he was like how do i deal with this and i just told him figure it out and eventually he figured out how to use fire to melt the ice and there's so many different ways you can get fire and how that puzzle can be solved and that to me is extremely RPG. That feeling of here's a problem. How do you, the way you build your character, the way you've handled your character, the way you approach things, how do you deal with this? Yeah, I like this. Both the Raven, Breath of the Wild is an immersive sim. Now that's a take oh I can boy. get on board with. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, honestly, like I think that's, I think it's an interesting game because of that. I think we're all interested by it because of that. And, uh, so I would put it. I would put it in the market. Personally, like 
I'm okay with calling it an RPG. And I'm I'm going to go even back. One of before Zelda, you had you had Sanadu, you had Highlight, mm-hmm. and yeah. you have Druaga's Tower, mm-hmm. which yes, I think Druaga's is one of the one. most Druaga, important yeah. games in Japanese history to understand their logic behind designing puzzles and designing like level up and systems. The whole idea of like you do something absurd, like, oh, if you kill Three ghosts on this level, you get a pickaxe that then you can use on level 12 to open this door. Is like completely this idea of how they handle puzzles mm-hmm. in a very different way from Western RPGs. Because this is something I actually once asked one of the developers from uh, Experience Inc., which they do a bunch of like uh, wizardry clones, but they never copied wizardry puzzles, they don't do riddles. They don't do that kind of like, uh, even sometimes like sliding puzzles and that kind of like Western approach to puzzle solving. Yeah. They do the Tower of Draga one, you know, do this arbitrary, really weird thing. And then you get an item that will open another thing. And I think like it may be not, Zelda might not be an RPG if you're coming from the Western tradition. But if you're coming from the Japanese tradition, 100% it is. That's a good point. I never even thought about that. The Tower of Draga. Uh, if you want to know more about Tower of Draga, dear God, Jeremy Parrish has covered like every inch of that game practically. So go ahead and listen to that. But you're right. Like that is like one of the basic like primordial origins of certain RPGs. And it's like, wow, you you opened my mind. Thank you. Well then. Criminal Justice said, what we've learned in episode 400 is we still don't know what an RPG is. There's still so much to... It is a role-playing game. Uh, Mm. Apparently Mm -hmm. we've learned that Zelda is an RPG. (laughs) Mm. Mm. Um, uh, Final thoughts before we wrap this segment up? Uh, Let's start with you, Eric. I think RPGs are the friends we've made along the way, personally. but (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's... I think RPGs are just it's it's such a cool thing and i think especially in the last few years we've seen so much evolution and like looking into what this like we've seen developers actively interrogate what an rpg is and how they can push it and evolve it and especially as the genre itself kind of fractures because of the ways that it's been adopted by the mainstream we're seeing a lot of rpg developers I think try to get back to some roots of what it is. Shout outs to Dungeon Encounters, baby. That's the best. I love it. And I I I love it. I, I think it's fantastic. So yeah, there's not really a strict definition of an RPG, but that's what makes RPGs interesting to me and why I'd rather spend four hundred episodes podcasting about them versus most other genres out there. True. How about you, Nadia? Uh I think uh Felipe was on to something when he said it's a vibe. It really is. It's always been a vibe for me as a kid. Like we were just talking about Zelda. I mean, Zelda two qualifies as an RPG in many ways, but does it matter? Does it really matter at the end? Like Eric said, it's friends we made along the way. It's a vibe. It's a good feeling. It's just, you know, like coming home, I guess. And now that games are more cross pollinated than ever and are just so available and there's so many resources to put basically creators can put their souls into games practically these days. It's just eh, it's a vibe. I'm good, you know. Pass the duchy on the left hand side. We're all good here. The Gen Z, just it always goes back to Gen Z, to vibes with Gen Z. Um, I'm not Gen Felipe. Z. <laughs> what are your thoughts? Uh, my thoughts are like the same thoughts that I had as a teenager uh, with metal music and stuff like this. That like 
don't be that guy that is like, oh, this is not true metal. I am mm-hmm. not going to listen mm-hmm. to this. Mm-hmm. Explore all the things because you're the artist. Like one of the things that really opened my mind. Let me tell you a funny story. I love progressive rock. The way I found <laughs> out about yes. progressive rock was because Nightwish made a cover of High Hopes in one of their albums. I have never heard Pink Floyd before in my life. Mm, and mm-hmm. this mesh of like influences, I think, is one of the best things that like uh, a developer, a music, an artist, a writer does when you pull your influences and you basically like you're inviting your audience into this little world of the things that you like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All the things like from Doom putting that really like you play Doom, you know what those guys love, that kind of like metal rock song and everything. Uh, from RPGs, you should embark on their journey. You know, like if you're playing an RPG where the guy really loves Tower of Draga and you're thinking like, this is really cool, then go try Tower of Draga. Like, Mm -hmm. don't be like, I only play RPGs. I only play like Western RPGs, Japanese RPGs, whatever. Go explore. I think that is a really good sentiment. uh, Or as Zero Alex says, "Be be descriptive, not prescriptive. Which is good. On the flip side, one of the reasons I keep going back to this conversation, I think, is to be able to articulate what an RPG is or be able to discuss RPGs in depth is to understand the genre better. And to me, understanding RPGs is to understand video games because it is one of those bedrock genres that have influenced so much. And so to understand RPGs, I think that this is like the thesis of this show, I think. To understand RPGs is to understand video games, all video games across the board. But at the same time, I agree. Be descriptive, not prescriptive. And that was an awesome discussion. Thank you so much. And now it's time for the Pantheon of the Blood God revisit. And we have a a game that I'm glad we're talking about with uh, Felipe here, Shadowrun Dragonfall, which we Mm. explored. Mm -hmm. Very interesting uh, episode. I think that it tends to get overlooked in Pantheon discussions because we have such a a console RPG fandom in our Discord. But no doubt it is, A, very good, um, and B, pretty important because it's one of the first examples of a a uh, crowdsourced RPG um, or a crowdsourced game. It, it was, uh, I believe it was one of the first games to get kickstarted back in the day uh, was the return of Shadowrun. And of course, Shadowrun, as we know, is a extremely important RPG series uh, that reaches into the tabletop realm. And what I'm curious about is Felipe, Shadowrun Dragonfall. Is this a Pantheon level RPG? When I say Pantheon level, if you're joining us for the first time, Usually we think of it as an RPG that still holds up, is important in some way, and has something special about it, that, that, some, that special greatness to it. Um, can you tell the story of RPGs without Shadowrun Dragonfall? I think you can tell the story of without their game because it is, it is a great game. It is a fantastic game if you love that genre of games that... <laughs> That special genre of RPGs, it is a really good one. Like, it's basically like uh, going on the vibes of uh, more isometric games, like let's say uh, Fallout, Underrail, um, 
this kind of like old school turn-based cyberpunk RPGs are rare, but I don't think it is the best example of that. Like, um, I think, let's say, if you're looking to that kind of games, you might be more interested into playing, let's say, the Pillars of Eternity in turn-based mode or the, the Pathfinder games. Not that that game is bad. It is not. It is really good... Uh, how to say, like a cyberpunk, one of the best cyberpunk games, RPGs, but I don't think it is on that level that is going to change someone's mind if you don't like that genre already. Yeah. Yeah, that, that sums up my thoughts on that, too, is that, like, I think Shadowrun Returns, the entire trilogy, is very good, and cyberpunk is a really cool setting specifically, but I feel like it's a, it's a setting that has not always been best served by the genre of role playing, and we're still trying to figure out like we're trying to make the, the Baldur's Gate of it, you know. The best Shadowrun game was, uh, I don't know, Dishonored, <laughs> Dragon, <laughs> Metal Gear Solid. It's a stealth, uh, no, I, I kid, uh, but it's always been a heist game, right? Get the party together, yeah, uh, go in and try to steal the thing using technology and magic and all sorts of interesting things. And weirdly enough, Shadowrun, Shadowrun games have never, have rarely captured that feeling. Uh, Shadowrun Dragonfall maybe ca- came the closest, I think, but yeah, very but good I game overall. Still... Good, great, great story. Yeah. But I think it gets still stuck on being too much drawing from the Bioware influence. It doesn't stand mm-hmm. on its own without thinking like, Oh, this is like, if you like games like Bioware games, and in that case, I think you should first play the Bioware games you know just go play bioware (laughs) (laughs) but i mean they were they ruled the rpg scene for like for a decade for a reason you know like yeah yeah, yeah. i I was for sure recommend you first playing uh knights of the old republic one and two first before going to into shadowrun dragonfall and like of course mass effect as well but i think uh dragonfall is going more for that uh, a bit older vibe Mm-hmm. Well, Shadowrun Dragonfall apparently still not Pantheon worthy. We will make a final decision when we do our Pantheon of the Blood God revisit next month. And we should really bring Felipe on because I think that we need that historical perspective for mm-hmm. this episode. Mm-hmm. So I look forward to it. Please look forward to it. Hey, I always look forward to it. Nadia, take us home. Okay, Kat, you were here um, earlier than all of us for a sound check. It didn't really happen until 10 minutes before showtime. But you were, I think you were mad because you're like, where is everybody? And you texted me uh, just the word Nadia, which sounded like my mom when she's mad at me, like Nadia. And that triggered a memory in me, actually, when I mentioned it before, I was 14, 15. I had major jaw surgery, uh, basically had my jaw broken, set because I had a terrible overbite that couldn't be fixed otherwise. And um, something went wrong with the anesthetic. I don't think it was anything like life-threatening, but it wasn't good. Uh, And they had to kind of adjust things on the fly. So I woke up very sick. I can't describe the feeling when I woke up. It was actually the worst I've ever felt in my life. Like, I felt like I was dying. And I just did not want to wake I felt like I was far, far down. I didn't want to wake up because I just didn't care. Something in me was broken. 
So they're trying to wake me up. I could hear the nurses like trying to wake me up saying, Nadia, wake up, wake up. And I wouldn't do it. And then my mom just leans over me and says, Nadia, like that really angry way that you texted it. Mm. And wake up, Nadia. Not even, no, no, not like, oh, wake up, sweetie. It's like, Nadia. And it's like, holy shit. Like the, the voice that she would use if like I was set to go to school in 20 minutes and I hadn't even gotten out of bed, like that was exactly the voice that it was. And it worked. Uh, I didn't just wake up. I popped awake. Like, like someone turned a switch and the nurses were just amazed. But yeah, that was a uh, my first and only time in the ICU. And uh, if you want to have a good time, try throwing up with your jaw shut, wired shut. It's really great. You should try it. I recommend it. Ten out of ten. Yeah, heavy so. as the moon. Love that we don't even call it a nook anymore. <laughs> I didn't even notice. All pretense is gone now. <laughs> if you keep going, it's just going to drive you right into the pit. It's like, oh, no, I'm dragging you down here. There is a me. relevant article I wrote, actually. It's still preserved on VG247, where um, I talk about that's the time I played Final Fantasy IV for the first time. And it was mm. a very rough summer for me because uh, post-op depression is a very real thing. They didn't talk about it much when I was having my surgery, but like you will get depressed after surgery. You will get bad feelings, which are fine. They're totally normal, but you need to take care of yourself. So I was playing Final Fantasy IV for that reason, and... It kind of goes hand in hand. Look up the article. It's a, it was a really popular one of mine for some reason. I remember, this is a little bit of Axe of the Blood God nostalgia. When you first came on the show, you were like, no, I've never played a Persona game. Yeah. I was like, you got to play Persona, Nadia. Got to play Persona. Play Persona 4 Golden. Seriously. I was trying, I was investigating ways to get you a PlayStation Vita television so that <laughs> you could play that. it on your TV. I was like, well, she was like, I don't have a, I don't have a Vita. I'm like, I'm going to buy you a Vita and then ship it to Canada. And I was like, oh my God, shipping to Canada is really expensive, actually. Holy cow. Um, But you got a Vita. Yes. You got Persona 4 Golden and you played it. And I think you were in the hospital at that time. So you were playing a lot of, so you had a lot of downtime to be able to play Persona 4, if I recall correctly. Yeah, that was one of our, it was one of our earliest segments. Uh, What was it called? Um, Oh, uh, oh. The Persona 4 quest or something the like that? Persona 4 report. The Persona mm, 4 report. Mm. We even had a like a jingle. We did, yeah. Do, do, do. Persona! <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. That was actually, yeah, that was a different surgery. That was 19, sorry, that was 2016. I just started with the US Gamer. And it was actually a pretty big one. I had to get my belly cut open and all this other cool stuff. So I was in the hospital for three days after that. And I played a lot of Persona after when I came home, but to the hospital, I brought my Nintendo DS and I was playing uh, Pokemon Sun and Moon, which is one of the reasons I really love that game. And that was also, the, I've, I've told this before, but it was still the weirdest thing that ever happened to me. That was when I was playing and I thought I was lucid. I thought I was like, hey, I'm awake. I'm going to play Nintendo 3DS. And the characters kept saying the word grated cheese over and over and over. And I was like, I don't know what's going on, but I'm going to go to sleep. And so I went back to sleep. And yeah, that that was the weirdest thing that's ever happened to me. And I swear to God, it happened. Just Team Skull saying grated cheese, grated cheese, you, grated cheese. You like, lived a Nintendo creepypasta. Like, this is just... Well, there's a God. lot of morphine in my veins. I mean, they gave me one of those buttons. And then they checked up on me and said, whoa. <laughs> they, took off the, they took away the buttons. <laughs> and I only had oral pills from then on. Persona 4 report was fun. Uh, it was. I enjoyed it. Maybe if we did a Persona 5 report, I would actually, I would actually finally play. How's that it. Persona 3 report going, Cat? Cough, cough. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> funny. 
that that thread is still going, by the way. The Persona Three day by day. Oh, good for you guys. We have a great community. Last <laughs> yeah, all the real they've players. soldiered on. <laughs> I have an incredible community. I, I have to say, if I had been, if I had kept, if I had stuck with it diligently, I think I would just be finishing it now. Because it's just so maybe much going on. Peace reportable goes up till like May thereabouts. I can't remember. Anyway, I went to I went to the British Virgin Islands, and that completely wrecked any chance of me being able to play because I explicitly did not bring any video game stuff with me, and uh, so I ended up being like a month behind in game. And I was like, and then I got busy, and uh, I think I was playing Elden Ring, and that was uh, that was the end that of was that. the end of Persona Three. <laughs> Truly. Nadia was mentioning that we have an amazing community, and it's true. We're seeing it right now. We had such a wonderful crowd for the the Acts of the Blood God 400 live stream. It's been really wonderful to watch this show um, grow from you know the days where I started it, and I was finding whatever guests I could find, and then I brought Nadia on board, and the show went up another level. And then I brought Eric on board, and the show went up another level again. And doing the live streams with the stars of destiny and the, the specials, the Pantheon. I remember when us gamers shut down in 2020 and thinking, wow, like this is the end of an era. This is terrible. Where's the show going to go from here? We had to like, I had to basically go to us gamer and be like, Hey, we're going to do a podcast one way or another, but like, we'd really like the name. Can yeah. we keep the name and the, 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 the archives and everything? And they said, yes. That was really Which good was of them. Yeah. Very kind of them. They could have been really shitty because, very shitty. Um, yeah, like, uh, so some, some companies are pretty jealous about that kind of thing, but uh, I'll say, I'll say this much. Um, they were good on that front. So, and, and so acts of the blood God has soldiered on. I mean, we're in year three of the Patreon. That's Patreon.com slash blood God pod. Mm. Pretty incredible amazing and we have a wonderful community incredible incredible community i'm i grew up hanging out in chat rooms like that was my thing you know i irc mostly that was where i found my community so i'm very at home in this environment and i tried to create that in our discord and we have such a wonderful wholesome welcoming community and it's been an absolute delight to interact with you and chat and be nerdy about RPGs. I want to say thanks to our excellent mods, exclusively Lex and Brian C. Nerd and Valexia. You're doing a great job. Thank you so much uh, for your time. It's great. It's a great show. And I think we're going to uh, onward to episode 500. <laughs> oh my yeah, God. Yeah, let's do this. No, first stop is episode 420. Got 420. That. We should just waited for 420 <laughs> to be able to do that. <laughs> We could have done this whole thing just so really like high. What What's an RPG? I don't know, is man. An RPG. What's anything? <laughs> Amazing. And that is the end of Acts of the Blood God 400. Thank you so much for listening. But wait, that's not it if you're here on the live show, because we're going to go do the post show right after that. This Blood God After Dark. I'll be another 30 minutes. And that is the episode that is typically available on the feed for our stars of destiny. So they can look forward to that. And you can sign up if you want to do this every single week at patreon.com slash blood God pod. We also have a shop now. Acts yes. of the blood God dot shop slash uh, acts of the blood God shop dot fourth wall dot com. And when you put little dashes between the acts of the blood God, 
in uh, shop in order to access it. I'm, I'm working on changing the URL to shop.bluggapod.com and getting it connected to the website, which I promise I'm going to update soon. We're doing a lot of other things behind the scenes as well. We have big plans for the podcast. In the meantime, I've been your host, Kat Bailey. You can follow me on Twitter at the underscore Catbot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford. Eric is at CMoosey. And Felipe, one more time, where can we find you and what projects are you working on? Yeah, I'm I'm finishing the updated version of the CRPG book. It's going to get published by Bitmap Books again in August of this year. We added like over 150 pages talking about French, Korean, and Chinese RPGs, uh, online RPGs, MMOs, MUDs. It's like a really nice expansion. Oh, MUDs. And people can find me at, the, uh, at Twitter at Felipe Pepe, everything together. And yeah, thank you so much for inviting me and oh, thank absolutely. for the audience to listening to my rambling mm-hmm. and my really thick accent. No, it was no, wonderful. It was, great. Yeah. It, was, uh, it was awesome. Uh, there's some questions about when we we're going to do the coupon. I'm As soon as this is done, I'm going to literally go and set up that promo code so that uh, we can have that over on there. I, I need to do one extra thing, but then we'll do it. In the meantime, we'll be back next week, as always, to talk about the genre we love. But for Eric, Nadia, Felipe, and myself, thanks so much for listening, and happy adventuring. Mm-hmm.